Thank you for that, Rick. We didn't get together on that ahead of time, but that was a perfect lead-in for the things we'll be talking about this morning. It is really good to be here. It's good that you're here. This is where we need to be on the first of the week. The Lord has demanded that of us, but He's done it for our blessing. To be together to encourage one another, as we've been doing, through study of His Word, through praying together, through sharing in the fellowship of the gifts that He's given us, and certainly in the study of His Word. It's an amazing thing to consider, as our brother read for us a few moments ago from Hebrews chapter 1, that God has spoken to us in these last days by His Son. There's so many ways that God spoke to His people. He used people mostly, but we know of a time when He spoke through the mouth of a donkey. <laughs> the Lord can do amazing things. He can get His will across and known through many, many different ways. But certainly, the most supreme way that he can do that is speaking to us himself in the person of his son, coming to us as we are, where we are, in our need, and sharing in that with us. And what a blessing we have as God has spoken to us in these last days by his son. But it didn't begin there. I want to start with you looking at the history of God speaking to his people, Israel. Certainly from the garden, God was speaking with Adam and Eve, and we see all through the book of Genesis, God speaking with the people that he's called to his service. But in Exodus 19, he has brought out this people from slavery, brought out a people to be special to him. In Exodus chapter 19, we'll read the first nine verses together. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. I want you to consider the situation of this people as they're having this conversation with God through Moses. <laughs> they have come out of terrible bondage in Egypt. The beginning of Exodus is a terrible time for the people of God. They're suffering the loss of their children. Their baby boys are being exposed and killed at the mandate of Pharaoh. And as Moses begins to talk to them about leaving and talking with Pharaoh, the taskmasters become more and more uh, frightening toward them, beating some of their leaders and beating them as they're not doing the work that's exaggeratedly given to them to do. And so their situation is terrible as slaves in Egypt. And God brings plagues on the land of Egypt. We call them the ten plagues. I like to call them the ten signs because they were signs, both for Egypt and for Israel. 
of God's mighty power as he laid these judgments on Egypt and on their gods. And what God showed them that they saw, God says in verse uh, 4, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What they saw in Egypt was that God is more powerful than Pharaoh, who had been so burdensome to them. Pharaoh, who himself is set up as a god among the Egyptians and who is the dominating man of all the earth during the time of the Israelites' escape from there, God is more powerful than he is and more powerful, as his miracles would have shown, than all the gods that Pharaoh trusted in and that perhaps the Israelites had been tempted to trust in being raised generation after generation for 400 years in Egypt. Certainly they were exposed to the idolatry and sort of the beliefs and customs of that land. Even though they were a people apart, they were exposed to this. And perhaps there was a temptation to follow after that. And yet as God has brought them out and he's got them at the foot of this mountain and Moses is going up and speaking with God, when he comes back, the people say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Yes, this is what we want. This powerful, this mighty God who is fighting for us and who's brought us out through this amazing passage through the Red Sea, after all those signs he did in Egypt and now has brought us to this mountain. He's fed us in the wilderness. He's given us water when there was none. We want this God and we will do his will. In verse 9, God says to Moses, I'm speaking to you by means of this thick cloud. There was the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that had been guiding this people through the wilderness. And God was speaking out of that to Moses in the presence of the people. And he said, I'm doing this because I want them to see and hear my power spoken directly to you. So they will believe in you and they will follow the words that you reveal. God's words, but they'll follow the words that you reveal. God was doing that to strengthen Moses' position as a prophet before the people. So turn with me now to verse 16, still in Exodus 19. Moses tells the people to be prepared. They spend three days purifying themselves because God himself is going to descend on that very mountain where they're camped and is going to speak to them the words of his law. And so the people gather at the mountain on the third day. This is in verse 16 of Exodus 19. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Have you ever imagined what it must have been like to stand at the foot of that mountain as God is speaking directly to the people now? And he calls Moses up for a special conversation. Some of you went to see the exhibit that was on at the Science Center of Pompeii where a volcano destroyed, the, the Mount Vesuvius destroyed the city of Pompeii. 
and took many, many people with it so quickly and cataclysmically that it ended up preserving the very expressions on their faces, some of these people, and their pets, and their way of life was preserved in, in lava as it cooled and became stone. Can you imagine what it must have been like for them at the foot of that mountain? And then can you imagine the people of God standing at the foot of what essentially was like a volcano? It's not a natural phenomenon, but it's a mountain that's on fire. It is shaking and quaking. The sound of God's voice, a very powerful scene that God intended for the people to be impressed with. This is where the word awe comes in. The things of God are awesome. We've made that word so banal. <laughs> oh, that was awesome, man. When you're talking about some guy that plays sports and did something that was, it was neat to see. But awesome means we are moved with godly fear. That's what God wanted them to feel. As they're standing before the mountain, and it says that they trembled with fear. But it's interesting, in verse 17, it says, God had Moses bring them to the very foot of the mountain to meet with him. That was as close as they could get. Come to the foot of the mountain, but don't touch the mountain. Don't come on the mountain, or you will die. Nonetheless, here's the God of the universe who's brought them to safety, speaking with them in this way. But you know what happens. He begins to speak. We have the revelation of the Ten Commandments. Now look at chapter 20 of Exodus, verse 18 through 21. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So God invited them to come to the mountain, and yet when they saw this scene and understood the power that's behind it, they stood afar off. <laughs> they didn't come too close. They didn't even want to hear anymore. They said, Moses, you go speak to God. It's too much for us to hear his voice. They had been brought from fearful slavery, where they feared for their lives and their children's lives every day, had been brought out with a strong arm. And yet here they stand at the foot of the mountain in fear of God. They wanted to know God's will for them. They said, Moses, tell us what to do and we'll do it all. And yet they were afraid to hear that will as it's being spoken to them. They needed an intermediary. They couldn't stand to be in God's presence. They wanted someone to go for them. And they said, Moses, you go up. And he did. And God allowed that to be so. That's how it began. God's revealing his will to this people. Later, Moses recounts this encounter they had on the mountain with God. If you'll turn to Deuteronomy 18. The context here is an entire generation of those people, those who stood at the foot of the mountain has fallen in the wilderness. They did not listen to the word of God that they heard from the mountain, nor did they listen to Moses, his servant. God tried to impress upon them the power of his nature and the power of his word, the power of his servant that he was setting up, and yet this generation didn't listen. And so he makes a promise to their children. Deuteronomy 18, 
Notice the context as he reminds them of this day. Deuteronomy 18, starting at verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. It's a fascinating thing that we see here. God promises to send his definitive word, the word that must be heard through another prophet that he's going to rise up. He's going to call from among them. In verses 16 and 17, Moses reminds them, and these children that were there, some of them would have been teenagers. Some of them would have been old enough to remember this. Others would have been too small. Certainly no one would have forgotten the mountain quaking. But all the things that were said, some would have remembered. So he reminds them, you did not want to hear the voice of God from the mountain. You said, no more. And we're told something here from Moses, that God came to Moses and said, they've said, they've said something good. <laughs> that seems strange. They don't want to hear God speaking. God says to Moses, that's a good thing. <laughs> it shows that they understand, that they have fear. In truth, they needed someone. They didn't just desire someone. They needed someone to go between them and God. They were unable to stand in his presence in the state they were in. They were unholy. And he's a holy God. He purified Moses to bring him before him. And he worked at purifying the priests for the service they would do. So the first reason God said that he gave for appearing in this way was so they would believe Moses when he spoke. So that he would, they would trust that his word was God's word as well. There's another reason though. Deuteronomy chapter 4. If you'll turn with me there. Again, this is Moses telling them about the situation when they came out, reminding them of these things before they go into the promised land. So we're going to go back a little bit in time in the story, but we're still in the Deuteronomy account. He's just reminding them of some things that came before. Deuteronomy 4, beginning at verse 15. This is a powerful text to me. Here Moses reminds them, Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people, an inheritance as you are this day. Notice what God is telling them here. The second reason that he appeared in flame and smoke and lightning and thunder and sounds is he wanted them to reverence him in his spirit nature not as something physical. He didn't want them to be tempted to worship the image of anything that he might have appeared as. He wanted, him, he wanted them to know his true nature. They were not ready yet. They could not understand if he had appeared to them in some other way. And so, as spirit, he came before them and these images that represent power and the strength of spirit. And so, 
It's in the context of their rejection of God speaking to them from the mountain, here in Deuteronomy 18, that God announces his plan to send the Messiah prophet. Verse 18, after he says, it is good what they have spoken, and they said, don't speak to us anymore. God, let Moses talk. It is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. It's not just Moses. There's someone else coming. And he will be the one that will speak the final words, and all that he speaks will be required of the people. But repeatedly, this people who stood there at the foot of the mountain, this people who were reminded of that before going in and taking the land that God had promised to give them, repeatedly they dismissed God's word. And Hosea 4 verse 6 says they were dying for lack of knowledge. They were consumed for lack of knowledge. Not only that, it got worse. Isaiah chapter 28, because of their rejection of God's word, because they had dismissed that powerful voice that was speaking, speaking to them from top of the mountain, they became morally corrupt. Isaiah 28, starting at verse 7. They also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink, something that was forbidden to them. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. Whom will he teach knowledge? And whom will he make to understand the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just drawn from the breasts? For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little. There a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. This is a complex text in Isaiah. But their character has clearly suffered, even to the point that the priests are reeling in their own vomit. And I imagine the tables he's speaking of here would be the table of showbread, the tables that they use for the sacrifices as they're drunk in the service of the temple. Who is he going to reveal knowledge to? Because all of the nation has gone, the only hope is left in those that are being born. Maybe they'll learn something. Maybe they'll be really willing to hear but his people have rejected. And so he's going to send them to a people of stammering lips and another tongue. He's going to send them to captivity. They rejected the voice of God from the mountain. They rejected the voice of God through his prophet Moses. And yet God says, I'm sending another prophet. You rejected my voice for so long that the ones who were supposed to speak it and discern it became drunk instead of learning it and sharing it. By the time we get to Jeremiah 31, God is extending further this promise to bring a new mediator of the covenant, someone who will bring the word that they will listen to. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. 
I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. What a difference. God promised that for that faithful remnant, for those who would listen to his word, there would be a new covenant and a new relationship. That it wouldn't be where they're standing afar off and hearing their distant God shouting from the top of the mountain. That it wouldn't be where a spokesman for God came and gave them a word which they quickly rejected. That it wouldn't be where the holiest of them would be reeling drunk in the midst of the tabernacle. It would be where God himself would speak and they would write these words, he would write these words on their heart. A new relationship was promised to them through this one who was coming to speak the final word of God. It's an amazing thing for them to consider as they're getting slowly the revelation of this will of God. And that, in the end, is where we come in. As we stand here today under the blessing of God speaking to us by His Son. Read with me again from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So many prophets came that were like Moses, many that were unlike Moses. But no one could have imagined that the one that was spoken about back in Deuteronomy 18 would be God's own son. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is talking to the religious leadership and he uses the parable of the vineyard, one that was well known from Isaiah already. And he talks about the fact that the vine dressers that the father left to take care of the vineyard, when they saw the prophets that God had sent coming to reap a portion of the vineyard, they became jealous and they began to send them back empty and to kill many of them. They wouldn't listen to what they were saying, being sent from the owner of the vineyard. And so finally, the owner of the vineyard says, well, there's only one I have left to send, my beloved son. Surely they'll respect him. And he sends his son and they kill him. They could not have imagined that the ultimate prophet, the one who was coming to bring the final word, would have been God's own son. And so they didn't see him. They rejected him when he came. But as Moses had brought the people from slavery in Egypt... God's Son brings His people from slavery to sin by Himself purging our sins and sitting down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. And so if we miss Him, we miss it all. You ever think about an Israelite who didn't get on board when the clan was going out of Egypt, stayed behind as a slave, fought in Pharaoh's army against the Israelites? That, that doesn't make any sense. And yet so many Jesus has come to free from sin. So many have said, we want to be a part of that, but they don't get on board. <laughs> they continue fighting in the enemy's army. 
They continue languishing under the slavery of sin. But the one who came and brought his message is capable of freeing them. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, here's this messenger. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This one calls us and allows us to come boldly to the throne of grace. This is not standing afar off, hearing some frightening clanging of cymbals and the loudness of this voice. This is one who calls us to himself. We know he has been where God is. Philippians 2, Paul says he, he came down from being with God. He's been high above the mountain that is so fearful. We know where he's been. And we know he's been where we are. Hebrews 4.15 says he's been tempted as we are in all points. Here's one who we can understand and who we know understands us. But I don't want you to miss the importance of what verse 16 is saying here in Hebrews 4. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb where they met God the first time as they came out and stood camped at the foot of that mountain. He was on the high place. He was on the altar of God. And they weren't allowed to come close. But in Christ, we're called to come close, to come very near to where he is. In fact, that was promised by Isaiah. Look at the language in Isaiah 2 and think about how confusing this must have been for those who were thinking of Mount Sinai. Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 3. The word that Isaiah the son of Amoz saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. <laughs> Let's go up the mountain, all the people are saying. Those in Exodus and Deuteronomy were prohibited from going up the mountain. And yet that's exactly what God desires of those who would come to him in Christ. We're called to climb that mountain. We're called to seek the source of where the word is coming out from Zion, that is the mountain of God. What a difference. The blessing we have of hearing the word coming from Christ, from God's own son. I want to show you a precursor to that blessing. Here was the prophecy in Isaiah, but in Mark chapter 9, Jesus with James and John and Peter is on a mountain. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Think about that for a moment. Does that sound familiar, what God said from the cloud there? Hear him. That's Deuteronomy 18, 15. I will raise up a prophet for you among your brethren. Him you shall hear, or simply hear him. Here's Peter wanting to worship Moses and Elijah together with Jesus, and God says, no, hear Jesus. Here's the prophet I was talking about. He's got you with him on the mountain. You're greatly afraid, but don't be. He's revealing my will to you personally as he stands here together. You think that had an effect on Peter and John who were there? It certainly did. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter references this very moment when he speaks of the conviction he has of this word that's been revealed. Second Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's conviction. <laughs> Peter on that mountain heard God's message, hear him. And he said, we know this is the Christ. We know his message is the one that we've been promised. And Peter was convinced from that day forward. In 1 John chapter 1, the language here is just so beautiful. You can't help but understand the passion that John had for Jesus when you read this text. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. This is not standing afar off in trembling fear. This is love and admiration. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. John speaking as one who had the experience of being on the mountain with God and being with the Son who brought that final message. Rather than trembling in fear, he was able to touch and to know God through Jesus. Now that's not saying there's no reason for reverential awe. We mentioned earlier in class, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, when John saw the resurrected Lord, he fell at his feet as one dead. But the Lord reached out his hand and said, do not be afraid. There is a need for reverential awe. But the fear that makes us stand at a distance, God's taken that away as he's promised to purge our sins and bring us close in Christ. Something very different than the Israelites were experiencing as they stood before that mountain. 
So powerful is it that in Hebrews chapter 12, that comparison is exactly what's made about where we stand today in this blessing of God speaking to us by His Son. Hebrews chapter 12, read with me, starting at verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire. Let me say that mountain should not have been touched. It could have been, but they needed to stand back. It burned with fire and blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. They could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Amen. What a blessing. God wants us to be purified. He wants us to be made holy. John 17, verse 17, Jesus prayed, sanctify them by your word. Your word, by the truth. Your word is truth. That's how God purifies us and brings us to himself. He wants us to come up the holy mountain to come to Christ. He doesn't want us to stand afar off. It's only possible if we're willing to do what so many of them weren't. We have to desire, yes, to hear his word. We've got to seek him out. We've got to draw near. We've got to allow him to purge us of our sins so that we can come up the mountain to God. God is powerful. We've witnessed his power, not only in all those signs that were done in Egypt, as he showed his strength over Pharaoh and all of the gods of Egypt. We've seen all through the history of Israel, he was always stronger than the Canaanite gods. He was stronger than all of the the armies. He was stronger than everybody else that came against him. And in Christ, he's shown himself to be stronger than Satan. In Hebrews chapter 2, he overcame the one who had the power of death. That is the devil. Because he died and came back to life to prove that he can do the same for us. That if we believe in him, even if we die, we may yet live. Are you camped at the foot of the mountain, maybe afar off? You like to hear about the things of God, but you're not certain that you want to be involved in the things of God. God would call you up the mountain. His desire is for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, after all that we just read, says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. His desire is for you, but you've got to respond. (laughs) It is a great thing for us to contemplate the blessing that we have in God speaking to us by his Son. I think it's fantastic to look at that context in Deuteronomy 18. When they said, no, God, we don't want to hear you, he made a provision and brought his son, one that we would be willing to hear, one who came to be like we are and did what we couldn't do in overcoming sin. Jesus has paid the price so that you can come to God up on the mountain where he is and do his very presence. You can go boldly to his throne of grace in your time of need. We'd like to help you to be able to do that today. If you're not a Christian, and you want to come to Christ, and you know what to do, we'd be glad to help you with that. If you don't know what to do, we'd love to study with you about it. 
But if you're ready to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, to repent and come forward, to have your sins washed away in baptism, today is the day we want to help you do that. So you can stand without fear in the presence of God with reverential awe as he calls you to himself. If as a Christian you've been sort of like those Israelites that fell by the wayside, you've heard the voice, you've seen what he can do, and yet somehow you've managed to reject, we want to call you to repentance. We want to call you back to serve him today on the mountain together with all the saints. If that's your will, let us help you with that. Make your will known by coming forward while we stand and sing this song to encourage you.